today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We find this even in the Gospels as Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. He says, you know, you, 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 your, your parents are in need and you keep telling them, oh no, all of, my, all of my wealth, all of my resources, they're dedicated to God, so I can't really help you out. And both Jesus and I believe Paul here is saying, that's so far away from the heart of God. That's not truly God's purpose and desire. God doesn't need that money when a parent or a grandparent or a widow in particular is, is suffering in, in all of this. We must provide for our own families. In today's message from Pastor David, he teaches us the importance of providing for our own families. Sometimes people will dedicate the resources they have to the things of God, but they neglect to give to their own family members who are in need. We learn through this message that God's heart is to first care and provide for our families, then dedicate our resources to other areas. God desires that we provide for the family members who are in need. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Conflicts, Widows, and Elders. You know, there's a lot of times when you look through the Word of God or when you're teaching through the Word of God that, you know, man, the, the, the lesson is right there. It's so clear. You can break it up into points. You can dissect the original languages. You can really bring out some, some depth and some core to, to what's being shared there. And today's probably not going to be one of those days. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the, the passage that we're in in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is actually scattered. There's several different things that he's speaking about here in this chapter. I, I sometimes try to come up with you know, catchy little titles to kind of remind people what I'm speaking about. I couldn't come up with a catchy title today either. As a matter of fact, my title for the message is Conflicts, Widows, and Elders. Not conflicts between widows and elders. <laughs> or conflicts with widows and elders, but conflicts, widows, and elders. That's what he's speaking about in chapter five today. Conflicts are never fun. Conflicts are, are difficult to live, particularly as, as believers in Christ, particularly when that conflict comes within the household of faith. And again, they, they are necessary, unfortunately, at times to, to deal with, particularly when you're dealing with those that you love, that you care about. You want to deal with that conflict. You don't want it to, to carry on. You don't want it to grow. You don't want it to, to fester. So you have to deal with. You, you can't let it just simmer. You can't let it grow. It needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with in love and in honesty. But it definitely needs to be dealt with. There are multiple of times in the course, I believe, of, of any ministry 
where corrections have to be made. Sometimes it's corrections of the ministry itself. Sometimes it's corrections of individuals. Sometimes those corrections come by way of of dealing with uh, major portions of the body, calling them into account for actions that that they've taken or, or words that they've spoken. And again, taking those hard steps, saying those hard things. At times, these actions cause, you know, heartbreak. The actions that they've taken, they cause heartbreak. It it causes division within the body of believers. That's when the responsibility falls upon the leadership of that body, of that local body, to deal with those kinds of issues, and they are never fun. The Word of God, however, gives us a pretty good standard of how we are to deal with conflict. As a matter of fact, in the gospel accounts, Jesus gives us a very clear way that we deal with conflicts, whether that's a conflict that you have with a brother or sister or a conflict within a ministry of having to deal with a situation. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew chapter 18. Now, there he goes through actually a a, a four-step process that you deal with in these areas of conflict. He says, first of all, that you go to that individual yourself. Just, again, you one-on-one. You speak to that individual. And if he hears you, then you've gained a brother. What a horrible thing it would be to have a conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, and you never face up to that conflict, and your lives continue to be further and further separated. Whereas if you would have gone to them and said, hey, listen, you know what you, what you said the other day, or how you responded the other day? Man, that cut me to the core, and it really hurt. And if they hear you, then hopefully their heart is, oh, brother or sister, I didn't mean to do that. Man, I love you. I care about you. And then there's mending that that takes place there. But if we don't deal with it, then that division continues to separate the body of Christ. Jesus said, if they hear you, you've gained a brother. But then he goes on to say, if they don't hear you, then take with you one or two more. So in other words, there's witnesses of of what's said and and how this process has taken place. And then he says that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. The third step is, is if it's still not joined together, if it's still not mending or, or healing, he says, if he refuses to hear you, then tell it to the church. In other words, I believe that that brings it to the leadership of the church that, hey, this is going on. And hopefully the importance of it and the, the gravity of it then would come to that individual. Then it finally says that if he refuses even to hear the church, then let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. A heathen or a tax collector, like you know, a non-believer or an IRS agent, you know? How do you, how do you deal with that? Do, what, what does he say? What does he say in there? You, you just shun them? You, you push them out and you don't? No, I believe that what he's saying is you deal with them like they're a non-believer because they're responding like a non-believer. So you deal with them in patience. You deal with them in love. You deal with them in a hope of reconciliation, of repentance and restoration. It's not a casting out, but it's, again, I I can't deal with you as my brother or my sister in Christ because you're not responding that way. So I need to deal with you literally as though you don't even know Christ. But I'm going to deal with you, and I'm going to hopefully see the love of Christ through this whole thing. That four-step principle that Jesus gives, I believe that it does work either with individual conflicts or conflicts that encompass the whole body. You've got to deal with these things. It offers 
tremendous amount of opportunities for repentance and for reconciliation. And after all, that's the reason why we deal with these things directly for, again, repentance and reconciliation. Be ye reconciled, coming together. We ought to be ministers of reconciliation. In addition to what Jesus gave us there in Matthew 18, we we come to this position here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I like how Paul speaks to Timothy about how you deal with various members within the fellowship of believers. He does this, again, by giving structure and order. And remember, we've been speaking a lot about structure and order as we've gone through the book of 1 Timothy. That's why Paul has Timothy there. That's why he sent Titus over to Crete, set things in order, put together structure within it. So here we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, "'Do not rebuke an older man,' but exhort him as a father, Uh, younger men as brothers, and older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. In essence, regardless of the error, there are certain ways or certain attitudes that you you were were called to, to deal with each other, and we just don't deal with each other the same. You can deal with someone who's mature in Christ, who has responsibilities and leadership within the church in a whole different way than you can a, a babe in Christ, a, a young believer. You, you, you deal with him in different ways. You deal with, as, as Paul says, an older man different than you would a, a younger man. And the old saying is, is, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, then every problem is a nail. And you see, the problem is that sometimes you don't need a hammer. Sometimes you just need an easy file. A little piece of sandpaper will take care of the problem. But if the only way that we know how to deal with things is to take out the hammer and whack it once or twice, then we're not going to accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish. He, he tells Timothy, he says, in dealing with an older man, you ought to deal with honor and respect to that older man, even if he's in error. Deal in honor and respect as if he is a father. Even though he may be wrong, you can still deal with honor and respect. He says, if you're dealing with a younger man that that needs that kind of correction, then you come to him literally as a a younger brother. You come and, again, bring an arm around him. You encourage him. Not not the attitude sometimes as siblings, you know, the older brother come and whack the younger brother. Um, I was a younger brother. I know how that works. But I also had younger brothers. No, you come with, with the love and the compassion of a brother for that individual. He says, if it's a older woman, I believe at that point in time and then dealing like with, with a mother, there's, there's got to be this gentleness, but there's got to be this humility too. You don't just come in your mother's face and say, hey, you're wrong. No, there's got to be a, a, a humility. And even when they're wrong in dealing with this thing, that kind of an attitude, if you're going to try and bring correction, you do it with gentleness. You deal with it with humility. And then he says, if it's a, a younger woman in the faith. There needs to be, again, this great care that's given, uh, especially uh, male leadership dealing with younger women within the fellowship that are, that are in error. Man, you need to deal with it as if she is your younger sister. You've got to be careful in all purity to deal with this thing. You don't want to give the enemy an opportunity to bring in a greater problem. Again, how you deal with these things. Because you see, Satan doesn't want repentance or reconciliation. 
Satan doesn't want you to deal with the conflict. He wants the conflict to continue to stir up and to continue to bring a, a greater separation. He desires that that division would grow even to the point of breaking up a fellowship. And within the local body, within the household of faith of a local church, man, these things can happen so easily, so easily out of misunderstandings. And when it comes, when it happens that there is division within the body, then there is a lot of collateral damage. As individuals who weren't even part of the original conflict, they get sucked up in it and they get caught in the midst of that conflict and that battle. So many, unfortunately, in the midst of that will even fall from the faith because of that conflict and because of that battle. We've been involved in a couple of major church catastrophes in our married life as we've moved around the country. And it's continuous. Whenever there is a major split or division or or battle within the church, there are people that are on the sidelines that their life just never comes back together again. We were involved in a major one back in Missouri. And uh, again, we, we walked away from the church long before the great division happened. But we also knew that once that division happened, there were people that had been there for years and years and years. Divorces, uh, people that uh, didn't even uh, go to church anymore because, again, Satan, again, gets that stronghold and he brings it in and causes great, great damage. The enemy of our soul loves to stir up strife. And beloved, we need to be aware of that. And we cannot allow conflicts to continue to build. We need to deal with these things in love and in honesty when they start coming up. He moves on. So from conflict, now we look at widows. uh, Verse 3, we begin there. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, You need to honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone, she trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, and these things command that they may be blameless. There's no doubt that a major portion of the early church's benevolence went out to assist uh, widows, widows and orphans, a major portion of what they did. We, we see this in the early chapters of Acts. I mean, the church hadn't really gotten started hardly at all. And there was this problem in, in taking care of the needs of who? The widows. And so again, they appointed those seven men to take care of those needs. And so we, we see that, uh, again, there, there was already a knowledge of the church that, man, these women are in a situation that we as the church, we need to step up, we need to care for them. In that culture that they lived in at that point in time, it would have been very difficult for a widow to provide for herself, particularly if she had spent all of her life being a a, a wife, a mother, and a homemaker, and then in her later years, her husband passes away, and she has no marketable skills, and the Roman government didn't help at all, and so the church saw right away with the compassion of God working in and through them. These women need assistance. And so they took it upon themselves to care for them. That love, that care, that sympathy of the church that compelled them to take up the cause of caring for these widows and yes, even for orphans. As a matter of fact, James tells us in James 1, 27, he says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. The church knew these people, again, are vulnerable 
to the culture, vulnerable to the situations that they are in. We need to move with that compassion of God to assist them. They took up the call. And as Paul is kind of setting these things in order within the church for Timothy or telling Timothy how to set them in order, he realizes that there needs to be some kind of an organized effort. There needs to be some kind of a standard that's set there in order to meet the needs that are there. Some sort of criteria met if this widow expects to have some kind of a help from the church. And so Paul sets out a few conditions. He says that if the widow has any children or grandchildren, it was their responsibility to care for their mothers and grandmothers. He says, because this is good and acceptable before God. So all of you who still have your mothers living or grandmothers living, yeah, your responsibility is to make sure that they're cared for, that uh, again, in their old age. And we continually quote this verse to our children as we uh, get older and older. (laughs) Hopefully not to the widow, just for your aging parents, take care of them. But, but there also needs to be this previous pattern in, in the widow's life, this pattern of, of trusting in God for, for her life, so much such that she is a woman of prayer, as Paul says, that her life is spent with supplications and, and prayers night and day. And then he goes on to add the conditions in, in verse 6, telling us very plainly that there is a vast difference between a woman who, as she trusts and as she waits on God, and she's known to be a woman in prayer, versus that woman who, man, now that her husband has passed away, so now she says, man, I don't have any ties. I'm going to go out, and man, I'm going to live in the world, and I'm just going to you know, party as long as I can because all these years I've been married to that guy, and now he's gone. Paul says, no, there, there's a world of difference. Here And that woman, that, that one that again continues on in, in the pleasures of this world, he says, look, you, you, there's not a responsibility there. You have no responsibility to care for her. It's for the ones that are, again, showing their heart for the things of God. Paul knew that the church wouldn't be able to care for every widow within the Roman Empire. There was just no way that they could do that. They didn't have, the church did not have those kinds of resources. So Paul recognized, though, that it is the responsibility of family to take care of family, first and foremost. So again, here in verse eight, he says it again. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We find this even in the Gospels as Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. He says, you know, you, 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 your, your parents are in need and you keep telling them, oh no, all of, my, all of my wealth, all of my resources, they're dedicated to God, so I can't really help you out. And both Jesus and I believe Paul here is saying that's so far away from the heart of God. That's not truly God's purpose and desire. God doesn't need that money when a parent or a grandparent or a widow in particular is, is suffering in, in all of this. So what about family? One of the things in our ministry here, when people come in and they are seeking help financially, it's funny, many people will never darken the doors of a church until suddenly there is a major need within their life. And then they come into the church and because they expect, they anticipate, they understand that the church should have compassion and we try to have compassion. But one of the first questions we ask those that come in that, that say that they have a financial need and can we help them, particularly if they're not part of this fellowship, is, what about family? Where's your family? Oh, they're, they're back east. Well, can we help you get in touch with them to see if they can assist you? So again, those kind of responsibilities, family first and foremost. 
Paul goes on then to give other considerations, other requirements to receiving help from the church. Look at verse nine. He says, don't let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, but refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows get married, bear children, manage the house, and give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. Paul understood life can go strange at any point and at any time. And he says, for these older widows, you, you look at them and you understand, okay, like he said, do not let a widow under 60 years of age be taken into the number. But then he also says, refuse the younger women. But even more than age, there's this criteria that, that he gives here. He, he lays it out pretty plainly. He says, not unless she's been the wife of one man. And that gets back to the consideration that we gave with elders and deacons, that she is a, a, a one-man woman. In other words, she was not flirtatious. She wasn't a, a gadabout. She wasn't a player. But again, her heart was toward one man. She has to be well-reported for good works and the testimony of her life. That, that's gone before her. What kind of a woman has she been? Uh, she isn't lazy. She's not expecting everyone else to take care of her. Uh, again, and in, in, particularly in those areas that she can take care of herself. That's the kind of woman you want to assist along the way because she's trying in every way that she can. He says, if she has brought up children, well, that's not a requirement. Well, she has to have children before we help, no. But if she has had children, that she did a good job, that she put herself into caring for her children. She has, uh, if she has lodged strangers, and that speaks there of the attitude of hospitality. What kind of a heart does she have for reaching out to others? If she's washed the saints' feet, and again, that comes not only hospitality, but that's actions of service, reaching out in that way. Diakonos, we shared about that and speaking about the deacons, that heart of a servant. What kind of a heart does this woman have? Or is she just looking for a handout? It says, if she has relieved the afflicted, does she actively demonstrate care for other people or is she just all self-centered? That's the kind of woman that you want to look for. No, she's, she's always helping other people and yet she needs help now. So it's good to help that kind of woman. If she has diligently followed every good work, again, the testimony, the actions of her life, again, they need to be evident. You can't just come in and say, hey, I'm in a tough situation. I think the church ought to help me out. As you can see, again, there, there cannot be, there should never be this entitlement mentality. It, it was the church's desire to fulfill these, these certain needs within the community, within the church body. But there has to be an understanding that it's not just because you are entitled. No, there's a certain way that we do this. The church did this actually as a, just a, a practical action of showing the love and the compassion of Almighty God to the 
people of God and to the community that's around them. Not because they were required to by law, but because they were motivated by love. It was the love of God that compelled them to meet the needs of these women. Then Paul returns to this issue once again of of the family taking care of their own widows when possible. Again, so as not to burden the resources of the church. Look at what he says there in verse 16. He says, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Since there's gonna be enough opportunities to, to take care of people. But if there's family, the family ought to take care of them. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Timothy, but sadly, we've come to the conclusion of today's message with Pastor David. You don't have to wait to hear another edition of The Open Word. Simply visit our website at theopenword.com and click on Teachings to download several past messages taught by Pastor David. You can also subscribe to our podcast to get each teaching as soon as it's made available. We're so glad you're part of our listening audience, and we'd love to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, learn more about us at theopenword.com, or just give us a call. We love hearing from our listeners. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And if you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock a.m. and on Wednesdays and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. And thank you for tuning in to The Open Word today. May God bless your continuing study of God's Word. Join us next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.